Suit yourself. Real-time scenarios with real residents. Good morning, doctor. We're going to be talking today about a patient scenario. Answer the questions as you would in your normal clinical practice. There are no trick questions here. Just answer the questions as you see most appropriate. Your next patient you've met while you're on service in the hospital. You're performing rounds and your partner who's out of town conveniently this week has done a low anterior resection on a 64 year old man. He's post-operative day six. The nurse calls you and asks you to check the patient because he has copious serosanguineous fluid coming from the incision. All right, I will, um, I will start by, before I go see my patient, I will start by checking his chart first, reviewing the, the op note if it's available in the chart, see uh, what was done um, in the procedure and if there were any complications, then I'll make sure I go see the patient. I will do my um, own history of his, his complaints, if he is having any pain around the site, if he's intolerating his diet, if he's having um, bowel movements, passing gas, uh, if he's having fevers or chills, nausea or vomiting, uh, I'll do my, I'll take a set of vitals and I'll do my physical exam, uh, focusing on mainly on his abdomen and the discharge. I'll make sure I can, um, uh, if it's coming from his wound, I'll examine the wound. I'll make sure I have my enough supplies to try to probe the wound if I need to. Okay, so you review the chart and you see that he had a low anterior <clears throat> resection for a low-lying cancer. His anastomosis was approximately four centimeters above the levator plate. The anastomosis was done using an EEA stapler. The surgery was done using an open approach. There didn't seem to be any complications. The patient had been tolerating a diet with bowel function. However, he was getting a little bit distended and recently had developed a cough and had several coughing spells. You go and you examine the patient. His vital signs are stable. His heart rate's 98. He is normotensive. He is a febrile. He is sitting up in bed, mildly uncomfortable, non-toxic appearing. You examine his abdomen in particular, and he has surgical staples in place. And you notice that the nurse had placed several sponges, which seem to be soaked with salmon pink fluid. All right. I will um, remove some of the staples and um, try to see if my underlying fascia is intact, because this is raising my suspicion for um, a wound dehiscence or a significant. This, this is my most significant complication for my copious uh, salmon colored fluid drainage. Um, Otherwise, I'll also examine the wound for any signs of infection or perilin drainage in other, in other areas that I can probe. So the wound does not appear infected. There is no erythema. There is no bogginess. When you remove several staples, you get a rush of salmon-colored fluid, and you see in the subcutaneous space there seems to be several loops of small bowel. This confirms my uh, suspicion for a uh, wound dehiscence postoperatively. I will uh, I'll book the OR. Uh, should the patient has been NPO or this constitutes a, um, this requires going back to the uh, operating room for exploration and abdominal wall closure. Okay. So you're in the operating room. You take the staples out. You see that your partner had closed the anterior fascia with a running absorbable heavy duty monofilament. You remove all of these sutures and uh, note that the fascia had torn in several locations leading to the dehiscence. 
Luckily, you're able to restore the bowel to the abdominal cavity, and there doesn't seem to be any bowel injury. You wash out the abdomen. How would you proceed? Critical point now is making sure I am able to close the uh, close the fascia primarily with no tension. Um, I will start by trying that out, and I'll communicate with my anesthesia um, uh, provider in the room if there's an increase in peak inspiratory pressure, because that's another thing I need to be to pay attention to. I would like to be able to close it primarily using number on PDS slowly absorbable monofilament sutures. But again, I need to I need to know if I have tension free. Not able to be to, to do attention free closure. Unfortunately, because the patient's been on a diet, he is relatively distended, and you're unable to get the fascial edges together. What are some options you have at this point? I think I'll. Um, my first option would be to do um, anterior component release. Uh, I can. Um, My patient is not toxic appearing. An, an option would be to temporarily keep the abdomen open, back it, and bring him back if the abdomen, if the small bowel is more distended. But I think he has a good option of recovery faster if I do an anterior component release. I'll raise uh, subcutaneous flaps. I'll go one, uh, two centimeters lateral to the uh, uh, semilunar line on either side, and I will do my anterior component release throughout the length of the uh, rectus chief. Okay, so you, you perform an anterior component release and uh, close the patient, and he recovers while he's discharged. He comes back to you uh, because he liked you very much after this repair uh, about two years later, and he notices that he has a lot of bulging at the midline. You diagnose him with an incisional hernia. You send him for a CT scan. He looks like he has a Swiss cheese defect, several areas of of uh, fascial de dehiscence here uh, in the subcutaneous space, and he would like this repaired. It causes him great discomfort. What options would you offer the patient? I will counsel the patient on the need to surgically, to proceed with a surgical repair. Um, the approach I would take is an open approach to fix that uh, Swiss cheese defect. I think the patient would would, uh, would do well with, if I'm able to do a retrorectus repair, um, that would be my that would be my go-to in this case. Would you use a prosthetic in this situation? If I have no uh, if I have no bowel injury or no bowel involvement, I will use a uh, polypropylene mesh and put it, place it in the retrorectus space. When you go back and you're doing your repeat hernia repair, you notice that there seems to be a retained sponge. The patient's wife is a known malpractice attorney. How would you handle this situation? Um, after the after the procedure, I'll make sure to talk to the uh, patient and his wife present at the same time. I will be completely honest with them. I will tell them what I came across that I did find the, that retained sponge. Um, I will acknowledge if if I was the only one who did the who did the procedure, then it's likely happened on the last time we did the procedure. Um, I'll tell them I'm I'm available for them if they need to to talk this over or if they need to understand anything further. And I will also um, tell them that we have other, um, we have other people in the hospital they can talk to also from patient advocacy or someone else if they need to discuss the incident with. And I will definitely apologize on, on what happened and I'll move this uh, further up for investigation. Okay, very good.
All right, Dr. Abulkasemi, there were a lot of curveballs in this case, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would agree. Um, we started off with a pretty straightforward case. Sammy did the right thing by taking us to the uh, operating room, uh, but he sort of went for the most extreme end of how to manage it. Right, and I think when you think about cases, there's usually a progression of steps, and if you skip four or five steps, you're going to end up in some unknown territory. So, I agree, and then it leaves the examiner open to take you down the road of complications and um, additional challenging management questions. One thing um, in regards to going to that extreme operation that I will commend him on, he did uh, ask several times about the stability of the patient, so I don't think you could knock him uh, on that. That's a great strategy, and it was nice to see him employ that. I think he got through the case, and even when he was presented with a radical shift in the content when we started talking about patient communication, uh, I think he was able to transition nicely. I would agree with that. Early postoperative dehiscence is a pretty devastating complication and one that you should be very familiar with how to manage. One of the key words that you'll hear is salmon colored fluid coming out of the wound. You typically want to do a local exploration. That will give you the best information. However, it's not wrong to go and send the patient for axial imaging like CT scans. Because there's such a high association of wound infection and dehiscence, sometimes a CT scan will show a fluid collection or an abscess that may lead to degradation of the fascia and may precede a dehiscence. Now, when you take a dehiscence back to the operating room, because you have to close this hole, you want to separate that in your mind from what is a hernia repair. You're not dealing with a hernia. You're dealing with a dehiscence. Specifically, the wound that you recently closed has sprung open, and you need to get it closed again. There are a couple things that will help you get this wound closed. Number one, nasogastric decompression to reduce the abdominal contents. Number two, you should do this under general anesthesia with good muscle relaxation, and you may need post-operative muscle relaxation on the ventilator in the ICU. And you also want to make sure you're working with the best materials possible, so the fascia that has split open should be debrided to something strong and healthy. You don't want to use any fascia that's ratty or has holes in it. The key here is you want to close the abdomen the way that you can. You don't want to burn bridges here. So your main options are, if there's too much swelling, you can put a temporary abdominal closure like a vac on and give it some time to let the bowels come down to give you better ability to close. Otherwise, you can basically bridge the fascia so that you get a tension-free closure with something absorbable, some absorbable type mesh, whether it's a biologic or synthetic absorbable, just to get the abdomen closed. And you can vac on top of this and eventually skin graft, or if you're really in trouble and you can't do anything, you can usually mobilize skin flaps and just close the skin directly over the bowel. That's your last resort to get out of trouble. Once you've closed the belly, the patient will develop a hernia. And this is an example of when your scenario answers sets you up for the second part of the scenario. So how you close the dehiscence is going to determine how and when you're going to get your recurrence or hernia. 
when you're talking about the hernia repair, the basic principles are, again, don't burn bridges. You want to try for the least invasive but most permanent repair you can. Always try to use a long-lasting mesh and try to keep your mesh extra peritoneal. If you use those principles, you'll get a good hernia repair after the fact. If you do an aggressive operation at the time of the dehiscence, such as a component release, then you may close options down for later on, and that scenario will definitely come up if you choose to do that on these oral boards questions. Music